Welcome to Real Adventures, talking all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. The Melbourne Boat Show Docklands, October 26th to 29th, on water, off water. Free tickets and information online. And for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers, with protection like no other. Here's your hosts, Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures for the Melbourne Boat Show Docklands, October 26 to 29, on water, off water. Free tickets and information online. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood here this morning talking all things boating, fishing and the great outdoors. Redmond, good morning to you. Good morning, Patrick. And yes, we are here, but we are separate because you are currently in a beautiful place of where I wish I was right now, to be honest with you, at Mission Beach. You and I did venture up there a few years back, and I love the place. How is it up there, mate? Mate, it's been beautiful. I am. So Mission Beach, uh, for those unaware, is roughly two hours south of Cairns. So we flew into Cairns. We actually went up to Palm Cove, which is 25 minutes north, and we did that for a couple of reasons. One, my son absolutely loves crocodiles and the outdoors. (laughs) So we took him up to Hartley's Croc Farm. And for anyone that isn't aware of what Hartley's Croc Farm is, it's it's probably the best croc farm in Australia, I reckon, because the beauty of Hartley's is you have a barge tour that takes you through these man-made canals. And these were made about 20-odd years ago. So everything looks natural, pristine. And they've got crocs in there to four and a half metres long. And it is just one of the... It's one of the great days for families, I think. The snake tours, um, talks, they have, they bring out the constrictors, they bring out the you know the most venomous snakes. It's all very safe. Um, and then there's the the croc. <laughs> it is. Then there's the croc feeding. Like it, it is a it is a phenomenal um, croc park. And well, for anyone that's venturing around the Cairns region, it, it's it's reason to go to Cairns in itself. I, as a parent now i wouldn't have seen this years ago i'll tell you what those fences aren't real high <laughs> from the crop. at one stage i think you had an instagram story up and there was marty was grabbing the back of george as he's climbing up the edge of one and it's only yes. waist height and then probably sticks out another two or three foot in front of you like laying there's another one in, in front of you laying flat not much protection there <laughs> And that's one hundred percent right. I tell you what, we, we actually did, we pulled up on one of the one of the pens. Um, I think it was Sultan. I think was the croc's name. It was four and a half meters long, and I didn't realize. I thought it was a log because it was, it was uh, staying so still. And this thing was freaking massive. So yeah, they are, and they're 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 sneaky buggers. Like you do the the tour on the barge, and they follow. You and they're obviously used to the boats, but. Yeah. Like they're not fearful at all, which makes you think just, you know, if you are. And and, and since going down to Mission at Redmond, we've done a few little um, Barra expeditions, which we'll get to in a moment, and sort of been uh, walking around the mangroves, is probably safe to say. Um, <laughs> and it is in the back of your mind slash the front of your mind. Well, let's get to the important bit then. You're speaking of fishing. I smashed you on the barrel last time we're up that way. Uh, how is the fishing? You don't, you don't have to. Do you have to bring that up? Yes, I do every time, and it will continue forever. How's the fishing been? The weather you said to me during the week when we spoke that's been a little bit breezy, but uh, what's been going on? Yeah, that's been the challenge. So we, we've we've been out to Dunk Island a few times. We've caught some Spanish mackerel. 
um, a tiny GT. And when I say tiny, I reckon this thing was the world's smallest giant Trevally. Um, no pun intended around giant. So the the challenge has been the wind, but it's been pretty good to be honest. Like by ten o'clock, it's sort of blown out. But we've had a couple of early mornings taking George out, and he's absolutely frothed it. And the beauty of sort of we haven't we haven't actually done a charter. We haven't done anything like that. Normally, I'll go out with Dennis Daly from Fish and Mission, but he's been booked out, and I, I wasn't organised enough before I went up there. But one of the things you can hire boats with a 40 horsepower engine, which I'm, I'm first coming here in 2002, well not first, but, um, you know, early on, the the biggest motor you could hire was a six horsepower. It was mm-hmm. like a 13-foot boat and you went marginally faster, um, you know, than the waves rolling around you. So um, the beauty of a 40 horse, you got a 15-foot boat, you can sort of venture wherever you like. You, well, you you get a little bit restricted when you're in that smaller boat, like that 13 foot with that smaller horsepower. That 40 horsepower would give you a fair bit of confidence to push around to the different islands and whatnot. Correct. It'd make you feel a bit safer in yourself. But what about knowing the area? Like, what are you doing over there to work it out? Are you are you just going to sort of, I guess, structure as such, or you're looking on your charts? What are you doing? Well, because I've been here so many times before, you sort of know the area well enough and we've so the spanish mackerel that we've caught have been trawling around the headlands yeah um deep diving lures you know six seven knots and like you know when you get them on metal trace and there have been some some nice fish up to sort of the meter mark bit over a meter um which has been great but limited by the the wind in many respects um we actually the surprising one we actually haven't caught any coral trout that's one of the things i thought that would be the easiest species to catch i think you'll have to be careful at the minute and just do your research because i reckon correct coral spawn on roughly about now correct Uh, sure if it's exactly now but it's definitely around the time that we're speaking so well uh, we're fine aaron because we haven't caught any so (laughs) (laughs) i'm in a little bit there back through the barrel i didn't actually hear you probably before are you fishing for barra? Is that what you were saying? You're walking around the mangroves fishing for barra? Well, we were fishing for barra. It doesn't mean we caught any barra. Oh, right. Uh, that's just that's just normal for you, especially when I'm around. Yeah, thanks. Um, now, a couple of mangroves, Jack. No barra, though, unfortunately. Mud crabs? Mud crabs? But still, toes in any holes? Well, we've actually had – we laid a few traps out for mud crabs because we've got a mate that's got um, a, a property up here which has a billabong, which is – honestly, it looks like something out of – Wolf Creek, except with crocodiles. Um, so caught a few mud crabs there. Haven't really targeted them. I reckon if you wanted to target them and and bait every night, you'd get plenty. Um, but the one species that sort of eluded us has been the barra. And we, mm-hmm. we've brought up the, um, you know, the barra gear, bomber lures, bait casters and that sort of thing. So it eluded us a bit, but it's been a great trip. And if... If anyone hasn't heard of Mission Beach, South Mission Beach is where we are. It's certainly a place worth looking up. It's two hours drive south of Cairns. It's far more remote than what um, you know than what Port Douglas is. Uh, clearly, than what Cairns is. But there's still five minutes away. There's a great Woolworths. Like there's great amenities. There's there's three or four caravan parks in the region. They're all beachfront, basically, and you've got the incredible Dunk Island. You've got coral reefs, Perdaboy, which is a tiny little island next to dunk island um is phenomenal for for snorkeling you do have to be mindful of stingers um as we sort of approach that time um but great for for kids getting them into the water and 
you know, seeing Nemo and and those sorts of things. So um, the the one interesting watch for Dunk Island and South Mission Beach in the region around Mission Beach is the acquisition of Dunk Island. I think it was sold about twelve months ago to the to the um, the startups of Atlassian. I think it's called. So um, the locals are still sort of waiting to hear what's the go there because that was one of the big tourist attractions around the region. And it's been obviously smacked with the with the tropical cyclones over the past sort of twenty to twenty five years. So, um, one of those things to be mindful of if they can get Dunk Island up and rolling, like you can actually fly into Dunk Island. There's an island, there's a airport right there. So, a bit of a game changer for the for the local region, Redmond. Now, before we do get into your four by four news and maybe a little bit of snapper talk, we've got enough time there, Patrick. What when do you come back? I actually need to know that answer. When do you come back? And what are your plans for the next couple of days? Back Tuesday, old boy. So uh, we'll be able to get some local fish. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your report for the week to see whether you actually caught anything and what you would be targeting. But heading back, back, back Tuesday. Uh, I think the draft. I think uh, trade week finishes up on the Wednesday. So you always sort of as you, a as a player scrolling through Twitter. You still got a job? I've still got a job. Yep, yep. But I tell you what, there's, there's been a fair bit of movement, which has been... Um, yeah, surprisingly, Taylor Adams during the week. That was a surprise in the footy front on a mission show, but we we love following the footy, and Taylor Adams, the old move to Sydney, it's a... Yeah, that come out of sort of nowhere for me. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I think I had a few people actually message me, like, why the hell would a, would a captain or vice-captain of a club that's just won a flag move from his club? Like, why would you do it? And I sort of looked at it a different way. Like... The club and the teams just won a grand final, of which you're you weren't a part of. And as much as everyone will say, no, you're a part of it, you're a part of it, all those things. If you don't play in it, you just don't feel like you're involved, even though that's not true. It takes a team to win, um, and it's beyond just the 23. But I think it's this it's embedded in Australian culture that unless you ran onto the field, then you weren't a part of it. And the best part of grand finals, winning a grand final, other stories that come from it. And you are you don't have those stories on the ground. You have the stories from the season, but not on the ground. And for him to play every game and then be injured in the lead up, like you can't imagine just how, you know, how tough well, that would be to, to get over. Maxie Holmes was in that boat last year. Well, exactly right. Uh, I suppose the difference with Max is Max is, you know, 22. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of footy ahead of him, whereas Taylor's 30. Um, you can see the you know the the midfield power that Colin would have, and I think he'd, he'd look at it probably from a uh, a head over heart view and go, you know, wh- where am I at? I can get a three year deal at, at Sydney. Sydney are going to be a good side. They've had, added some really good players, obviously Brody Grundy as well, um, and, and they'll be around the mark as well. So it's been interesting to see. Just a 900k ruckman going over to Sydney, not too bad in the VFL. Uh, Patrick, take us through the four by four news for the week. Well, I thought you, oh, I thought you'd like this. That the customer deliveries of the locally remanufactured Ford F one fifty, F one fifty rather, they start in November, Redmond. So this is a car that obviously is manufactured in the US. It's brought over to Australia. There's five hundred parts that are added locally in the conversion process. Um, so you could almost claim that it's somewhat Australian, Redmond. Um, but those deliveries will commence in November, which is great to see. Um, and obviously, as I said, remanufactured in the RMA automotive facility in Mickleham, Victoria. 
one of the uh, things that I'm just reading through, and I've got the article here in front of me that you were just talking about, and the first half a dozen comments straight away just basically say, because it says in the question, it says, would you consider it over a VA powered, V8 powered rival? And just straight away, the comments of people just wanting the V8, it's straight up, so not without a V, not with a V6. Just the next handful of comments are basically regarding that V6 concept of it. Do you reckon Ford have done a little bit of a funny game there, going to that V6 and missing the V8, or, do you, or what do you think? No, I wouldn't go a V8. I think V8s are on the out. I think there's this notion that you have to have V8 power to tow to have great power, and it's just not the case. Like, so you advise people that are saying that to actually take this thing for a test run, because I know that you've been in it. You and I yeah, to 100%. Take it for a run. You'll see the power. you see what it can do. Yeah, and the technology in these things now, like, is far superior to what a V8 was 10 years ago. Yep. I think people just view it as you have to have a V8 in order to compete with the big boys when it comes to power and towing. Still tows four and a half tonnes. Um, so it, it wouldn't be... Wouldn't even be an issue for mine. Hey, um, just quickly, Rivian. So the automotive manufacturer over in the US um, is reportedly burning through enormous amounts of cash and losing 51000 Australian dollars on every car it's, uh, that it sells. So this happens with when cars in uh, when manufacturers invest heavily in cars and Ford have said that they're going to lose roughly $4 billion this year on their investment in EV tech because how much they spend on the technology in order to um, to get a grasp in the segment. We've seen the, you know, the enormous uptake on the Lightning. But where this differs is that Rivian, you know, this explodes onto the market. And I remember, I, I forget what the the initial raise was, but it was like close to 20 billion. It was just extraordinary um, with the amount of investment from, you know, billionaires globally, huge manufacturers. I think at the time Ford owned 15 or 20% of it. Um, so they're losing a huge amount. That'll be a, a bit of a watch this space. We were hopeful of getting them in Australia. I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon, Redmond. And the other one, just quickly, is the 2024 Isuzu D-Max has been revealed with a new um, facelift, which is good to see. Um, obviously, good. Bloody good truck, though. They really are. I was about to say, obviously, it has been a, a real um, you know, win in Australia. Um, with how well it's been received, build quality, all those sorts of things, and really price competitive compared to uh, the Hiluxes and the Ford Rangers of the world. That's why people people like them, and they're obviously they're truck backing, so they're yeah you know, that you you know the build quality is going to be really good, um, and that sort of rounds out where we're at for four by four news for the week, Redmond. It is. Uh, Patrick, now the question is, I think we're going to have to come in after the break because we haven't got a lot of time about a little bit of snapper talk because uh, there's plenty about to happen and i got some beautiful fish during the week. You're listening to Real Adventures. Don't go anywhere. Plenty more to come after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures, talking all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. For Melbourne Boat Show Docklands, October 26th to 29th, on water, off water. Free tickets and information online. And for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive sea covers, with protection like no other. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for the whip around for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers with protection like no other. We'll get to your snapper talk 
at the end, Redmond. I know we teased that off the back of the first segment, but we are going to kick things off with New South Wales because there's been a few Kings roll around the Monty Islands, Redmond. There is. That's very exciting. There's a lot of small fish, some legal, and even some bigger ones that getting getting around with the schools, which is great to see. Uh, bird life is holding on top of them, Pat. So you're looking for those turns and the gannets. That's how you locate them the best when they're on top there. Micro jigging, even the surface lures were working pretty well. And you obviously, of course, the live baits, if you've got them, they're always going to work too. But also don't get too distracted by the kings if they've been a little bit hard to get. Those snapper are still firing at Monty Island as well, Pat. So there's plenty of good, good size snapper on the micro jigs too. Fishing very so, well. So beyond the micro jigs, is there any other way that you'd target the snapper? Or would you hit them with bait? Or if you find the schools, then you'll get the fish. Anchoring and putting a burly trail down, you're going to have a fair bit of current there. So it's a bit harder to fish your baits as such, unless you're running big sinkers. But your micro jigs drifting them is definitely an effective way. You've got your plastics too. But like I said before, anchor up where you know the school is. Bit of burly. Drop down some baits, squid, rings. You can even drop down some pilly tails if you can get them to hold on, or even a nice slimy mackerel fillet, I should say. That'll work really, really well too. So there's a few options there. And then if you're heading back up north while we're on the snapper talk there, they fish so well out of Sydney this week. Fish to six, seven kilo out of Sydney. Uh, that 35 to 40 metres of water, all baits working really, really well. And again, just as I said before, the mackerel was the standout bait by a long, long way too. Pushing further to Queensland, my neck of the woods at the moment, Redmond. Yeah, uh, the, Noosa, the Noosa River fishing really well. There's been some great grim captures as well as flathead. The most popular bait has been sandworms, Redmond. And then obviously you've given us a very, very detailed report of Mission Beach, which was covered at the start of the show. And if you do want to hear any of our shows, make sure you head to the Real Adventures app or download any of our podcasts on any of your smartphones that you have. I can't keep up with how many smartphones out there, Pat, and what apps they use these days. But heading over to WA, 60 metres of water out of Albany, the Queen Snapper, beautiful looking fish, or what is known as the Morlong, the Blue Morlong, has been fishing very, very well. They are a stunning fish. They eat so, so well, and they pull like no other. They are great fish to catch, fishing very, very good, mixed in with some snapper and also some gummies too. So best way to target the, the blue morwong, how in 60 metres of water, are they going to be sitting at the bottom? Are they sitting midway? Like yep. where where are you going to target them in the in the body of water? Yeah, with an electric reel. It's a good start. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but basically uh, just on the bottom. They're, they're, they're bottom feeders with your snapper and your gummies. Uh, nothing too fancy, just your squid, squid ring or squid piece or whatever you want to use, something that stays on pretty well and – that's going to catch you plenty of bottom fish. It doesn't matter if it's the Nanagai or whatever's mixed in, because if you head to Esperance as well, it's the same fishing there. There's some beautiful queen snapper being caught there, but also lots of Nanagai mixed in, and people craze over the Nanagai. They're a beautiful eating fish. They're that Queensland-looking tropical fish, that beautiful orange fish. You catch them right from WA into New South Wales. So they are caught right around the bottom end of Australia. And I think that even up north they get a fair few of them too, but they're a little bit of a different species of nanagai uh from what i'm familiar with uh back in the esperance so the yep. fishing is sensational at the moment all the reports point to um phenomenal catches queen snapper lots of nannies pink snapper as well um how are you going to be targeting them what are, what are the reports from from your mates in the west that you're hearing are the, are the right ways to target them 
Yeah, so you want to use your sound at a first. So you want to locate a fair bit of reef. So reef is where reef creates activity, and there's a lot of nothing there. So there's a lot of dead ground. You find that structure, that bit of reef, just before the continental shelf even, which is a long way out. But if you hit that just before it, find that 60 metres of water and work that reef on your sounder, then you're obviously going to mark up fish. And once you mark up fish, drop down a bait, whether it's a size 3-ounce sinker right up to a size 10-ounce, whatever you need to hold bottom is the best way to catch fish when you're bottom fishing. Sounds dumb and simple, but a lot of people get carried away with not putting enough weight on and holding the bottom. If you're not holding the bottom, you're not catching fish. So that's the best way to target anything that you're targeting regarding more long snapper or nannies, gummies, anything on the bottom, hold the bottom with your sinker. South Australia, the Air Peninsula is thick with salmon right now uh, with them busting up the water close to shore. Metal lures have been the most successful quite clearly and there's nothing that you really need to target specifically when you're purchasing these metal lures. Redmond's 30 to 70 grams depending on how hard you want to go or a tin can and put a treble on the back of it. (laughs) You couldn't have said it any better. I think uh, one of our very good friends of the show, Paul Worsling, caught a snapper one time on a spanner out of South Australia. <laughs> they were used to be allowed to catch snapper there. It was a, the, uh, so when these fish are on, not necessarily the snapper, they're a little bit tougher than the salmon, but when the salmon are on, there's no magic tricks. But to see the vision that I've seen of the fish at Air Peninsula along the beach there, so close to the water, big black footy fields of fish just topping on the surface nicely, flicking water over, very easy to locate. And like you said before, not, not rocket science to chuck a metal in there and catch them. And then I'm actually in South Australia as we're doing this report, Patrick, because I flew in here yesterday for our North Bank Family Day, and we are fishing today. So our show now is at 6 a.m., so luckily, because the comp kicks off at 7, I need to get out of here, and I'm fishing Woolaroo. So I'll have a competition. It's not a competition. I'm fishing the competition. I'll have the report next week of how we go. I am partnered up with Ned McHenry, which I'm worried about. Good Lord. Good Lord. (laughs) He picked me up from the airport yesterday at 2 o'clock and we headed down to Woolaroo. I think it was about an hour and a half drive, roughly, sitting in his really comfy 79 Land Cruiser. And basically, we... basically The we, worst cars to sit in ever. Like, yeah, they're a great car. You could drop them off the edge of a cliff. They're the worst cars ever to sit in. The, only thing the, air, the air conditioning unit is from 1974. <laughs> you still have to actually manually put your hand out of the window and move your rear vision mirrors. I'm not commenting on this other than the fact that everything you're saying is so right. (laughs) But you know what? There's an eight-year wait for these cars to buy new. And by new, I mean these cars are the same cars you bought in 1980. Uh. (laughs) They are. Some of them actually have electric windows now, Pat. But anyway, we had the briefing last night, the fishing tail at Willaroo. The wind's not on our side. We've got 15 knots of southwest, which is pushing right into where we are. It's not looking great, but we're in the beautiful 650 hard top that Ned just received. He only just got it, just got it. Cracker of a boat. So I'm going to test it out and see if I can uh, see if I can break it today with old Neddy and uh, see if we can get some beautiful whiting. I think the squid are going to be tough with the drift. So that is the plan of attack today in South Australia for myself. Oh, it's interesting because it's the same boat that you're. I think still waiting on uh, some big whiting out of Venus Bay is the other report uh, heading to Tasmania Lake Crescent on fire with some beautifully sized trout on offer. Tassie Devils to- troll behind the boat have been working well and there's been some big flathead out of the burning during the week on soft plastics. Uh, heading up Victoria barrels continue from Port Mac right through to the west- western port region. 
add a little Port Mac into Victoria there, do you? <laughs> it just always cracks me up every time I, I see Port Mac in the Victorian report. Yes, Aaron's aware, and he does put it on. Uh, he does put it in the report on purpose. The Port Phillip Bay whiting are on fire, as well as some huge squid and a snapper are not far off going nuts. I know I got you a little bit excited at the start of the show, but I'm going to bring you down back to a little reality, just the people that are out there. And the reason that I do it is because you just said before, the whiting were on fire. And we had those crap ties during the week. They've kicked in. The squid were sensational. And there's still hundreds of people chasing snapper and catching donuts. And what I mean by that is I got some beautiful fish during the week, but I worked hard for them, Pat. I really yep. worked hard for those fish. So what I mean by that is if you have a limited time, if you've only got one or two days a week to fish, and you're here in Victoria, and you want to catch something, don't think you're just going to go out and catch snapper right now. You might get 10, but there's a very good chance that you're going to get next to nothing. So what I'm saying is there are other options, and fishing's smart. So next week we've got these beautiful tides. We've got some beautiful weather coming by the looks of it. So if you want to get out and get a feed of fish, your calamari are sensational, and your whiting are going good. The snapper, I reckon, are only a week or so off in Port Phillip Bay, maybe two weeks max. Uh, once we get this weather out of the way, this crappy weather into this nicer weather comes, we're going to be sensational on the snapper front. And Western Port is going to kick in very nicely any second now. So they're going to have bag limit captures any second now. Can you talk to me about offshore snapper at the moment? Is that where you'd be targeting snapper if you if you have the um, the guts to head offshore, I suppose, and you're happy to, to go through the, the bite? It's funny you say what you just said, and that's everyone's mentality of it. Now, you get the guts to go offshore. Now, it's a very, very – it's a smart way to put it in a way, but it's also a factor of it. If you pick your days and you pick your pick your weather, it's actually a lot safer, for instance, of fishing those squid around the Port Phillip Bay Heads, which is the Lonsdale Bight, which is a very strong tidal-influenced place, which can get a lot rougher and quicker – than the ocean. So if the ocean's flat, now the reason I give you this example is I've had a mate out during the week. We fished offshore. We went through the Barwon River. We went out and he went through the bar. He hasn't really gone out there much. And he goes, Jesus, we just go through the bar. I said, Yeah, it's no, there's nothing today. And what I mean by that is it is glass calm. There was zero swell with a five knot northerly. That is as calm and safe as you get it. So that's where the snapper are feeding very, very well at the moment. I got some beautiful snapper in the ocean. We didn't have to wait long and we got some beautiful fish. So the fish is there. But you just need to pick your day. And as a reference, an offshore breeze is a breeze that comes from the land to the water. And that there gives you calmness in the ocean as such. Even if you're fishing in the bay, any offshore wind coming from the land will give you protection. So what you're looking for when you're in my neck of the woods, you want a northerly wind with minimal swell, and you'll be able to fish in the ocean quite comfortably and calm. And if it's too rough to get out the bar, it's too rough to be fishing out there anyway, in my opinion. So there's so many different ways to look at it, but... By fishing smart and actually fishing in areas where there's fish, like the ocean, like you said, you're going to catch snapper like I did during the week because they're there and they're fishing well because they're starting to push down and make their way into the bays of Port Phillip and Western Port. Uh, Port Albert had some good gumbos landed as well. Yeah, they did. So down the uh, – sorry, down the west, I was about to say. Apologies. Down the east, they fished very, very well. So good gumbos and plenty of flathead in that 35 to 45 centimetre range, which is the ideal size. You get those big 65-centimetre flathead tigers and that. In my opinion, they're great to catch, 70s even. But you get those real thick, chunky fillets where those 35s to 45s are brilliant, brilliant size uh, fish to catch, and they eat so well. They are the number one eating fish, in my opinion, in the water. There's nothing better than it. 
So they are fishing very well down down the east. And also there was a big school of salmon that was off Welsh Pool too. So fishing well down there. And a little bit of freshwater for you, Pack. The Waikul River is holding some huge yallas, as Jim Credlin likes to say. Uh, bait being the best. So yabbies have been very, very good too. So there's a fair bit happening and we're very close to everything firing up in the next two weeks. I'm calling it now, Patrick. Two weeks, we'll be talking all things positive. Beautiful work, Redmond. That is the whip around for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers with protection like no other. You're listening to Real Adventures. Red's review for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers with protection like no other. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for All Aboard for the Melbourne Boat Show Docklands. October 26th to 29th, on water, off water. Free tickets and information online. Earlier in the week, I caught up with Ben Elliott from Psionics. Well, a very exciting chat this morning. Ben Elliott from Psionics. Good morning, mate. How are you? Good morning, Aaron. I'm having a a great time here. How are things going for yourself? Very good, mate. Now, uh, this is a product that I'm very excited about. We're going to be talking in a couple of minutes about this night wave, but first of all, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Who do you work for and the brands that you're, the brand that you're associated with? And what is the product that we are going to be talking about today that I think every boat owner, especially with a hard top should own. So I'm part of uh, the night vision shop. So we're an importer based in Sydney. And we're the original importer for Psionics. So Psionics is an American company. Um, that do color night vision products. Mm. Um, so you've probably seen night vision before and you see it on the movies, it's that usual green and black or a black and white image. Psionics yep. um, have actually been able to create a sensor that can pick up color at nighttime. So it's got a very, very sensitive sensor that's able to kind of pick up any little bit of ambient light in the area and amplify that massively. The, the guys who own Psionics were actually um, some fishermen who enjoyed getting out in their boat. They were also engineers, um, and they saw a large gap in the market because predominantly there's just been thermal cameras um, or black and white night vision cameras, and most of them have been fairly expensive. Um, so with a few additions of different cameras, um, they've now created the Psionics Nightwave, which is a dome camera, so it's hard-mounted, um, can hook up into the founder of the boat um, and yeah, be able to display a colour night vision image with very, very, very little light in the air. Well, I'm going to pull you back a little bit there. It is as simple as plugging in to the back of your sounder. So this gets fixed on top of a hard top on the front of your boat, wherever you want to fix it to give you the best vision possible. Uh, basically it gets fixed there and then, like you said, one cord into the back of your, your video section in the Simrad, uh, Simrad was what I run and obviously many other brands out there, but it's compatible with all of them in the video part of your sounders? Yeah, that's correct, Aaron. So um, mounting-wise, uh, majority of people will hard mount it. Um, there is also a quarter-inch thread on the bottom, so you can use RAM mounts, so extremely flexible in the ways to mount it. You can have it permanent yep. um, or you can have it set up that you can pop it on and off. Um, and then in terms of the video, uh, yeah, it's got a cable, um, which one part of it will run 12 volt to power the unit and the other part will just plug into, into your sounder, whether that be, um, Simrad or Garmin or Raymarine, um, pretty much all your major brand sounders have a way of hooking the image straight in and, um, giving you that live display. Now, a dumb question for you, 
But as someone that fishes quite hard like myself, I do a lot of hours on the water. And there's many people that are listening to us right now that spend a lot of time on the water. They're going to go, oh, is it going to withhandle salt water? Like things don't withhandle salt water. How has this been proven to work against salt water? Has it been any dramas with it or has it been very successful? For sure, that's a really good question. So um, the Nightwave is IP67 rated. Um, so it can take yeah, large impacts of water. Um, it is rated to be up to a metre underwater for half an hour. Oh, yeah. um, so generally, you're going to have bigger problems than the camera if that's happening on the boat. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, but being a... Um, Psionics have always dealt, being an American company, they've dealt with like the US military before. Um, so a lot of their products are extremely hardy and have um, definitely gone through the test of times. Um, and then in terms of ingress protection, um, we're yet to see any issues um, come. Now, Ben, something that you mentioned before, and like you said, it's very can be very expensive to buy these thermal imaging cameras. But one thing that I've noticed is they're actually quite affordable too. And I don't often like getting into the the itsy-bitsy bits of the old pricing and whatnot. But take us through the pricing of actually buying one of these and where, more importantly, can someone access and get one of these from? So these will re- they retail for $3,990. Yep. Um, which, as I said, compared to other products on the market, um, it's definitely kind of towards that, that lower end yes. for, for what it does. Yep. Um, in terms of sourcing it, there is a range of range of dealers out there um, that you can get access through. Um, if you were to contact pretty much any of your any of your marine dealers, yep. um, they should be able to get get access to it for you. Yeah, that's very exciting. I'm looking forward to getting one of these on my boat now. I while I've got Ben, I just want to see your perspective and see if I'm on the right track. When traveling out at night as an angler, I head out every morning early, a lot of the time coming in late when it's dark. Now, the imaging that this is going to produce for me, correct me if I'm wrong, is nearly going to be looking, I guess, in the night perspective, but with everything with color. So the color on the Simrad. So when you're traveling out and you've got a hard top, for instance, and the war, and, and you, you've got, I guess, all your condensation and everything on your hard top, and not only that, you've got waves coming over your boat when you're traveling at night. This imaging here is pretty much going to be nearly looking at, I guess, with a night sort of feel to it, but it's going to be nearly looking like a daylight sort of perspective through your, through your Simrad as such, isn't it? Correct. That's very, very true. Because yeah. so, it's able to amplify any of that ambient light in the area. Um, if you do have a bit of extra light, um, so let's say you've got a full moon out, yep. uh, that's nearly going to look like daytime. Um, you yeah, can look okay. at videos of guys using these at full moon, and you can actually see the reflection of the moonlight off the water. So you get that really clear detail um, on, on the reflections coming back. At the lower end of light, it only it runs on a sub-1 millilux sensor, um, which in layman's terms means it just needs starlight to be able to make an image. Um, which isn't obviously much light at all, but you'll generally always have a bit of moonlight, a um, bit of starlight, or if you're out around the ports, um, having that light coming off the land and the land light pollution, so uh, makes a huge difference and you know, to create a nice image in front of you. Now, as an angler and whatnot, Ben, I strongly recommend considering this product because you've got these, especially if you've got a hard top as such, because when you're heading out of a night and it's everything's dark. You've got your tinted windows, you've got condensation, everything's on your windscreen. It's very, very hard to see. Where this product here literally brings things to daylight. The night wave is extremely, extremely handy for those those moments when you can't see anything. If it's extremely rough and you've got water coming over and the windscreen wipers are going, 
especially at night, you chuck this on and you're going to be literally seen like daylight. Make sure if you do want information, head to psionics.com.au and, of course, contact your local dealer and they'll be able to point you in the right direction. Ben, thank you very much for joining us this morning on Real Adventures. No worries at all, Aaron. It's been a pleasure to chat to you about our product. That was Red's review for Razorback 4x4. There's nothing like Razorback 4x4. You're listening to Real Adventures, talking all things fishing, boating, and the great outdoors. The Melbourne Boat Show Docklands, October 26th to 29th, on water, off water. Free tickets and information online. And for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive sea covers, with protection like no other. Welcome back to Real Adventures for Razorback 4x4, Australia's best four-wheel drive seat covers, with protection like no other. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood here this morning chatting, boating, fishing, the great outdoors. Redman, it is time for your tip for the weekend, and you're talking about bait presentation. It's one thing to get the right baits, but it's another thing to present them to the fish in the right way that gives yourself the best chance at catching that bucket list fish. I'm blown away with how many people that I go and help fish of how much I blow them away of how I put bait on. Because everyone thinks the first thing you do, and this is taught, I'm going to go to your dad and, and my dad back when we were youngsters, you get a bit of bait and you put it on the hook as many times as you can. You don't <laughs> let it <laughs> Yes. Put it on. Oh, maybe, maybe you may have been guilty of that in the past. <laughs> well, it actually doesn't work in your favour. It's actually not the best way to, to present something as such. So... A couple of little tips I can give you is when you're fishing in tidal waters, you want to make the bait as aerodynamic as possible or water dynamic we'll go with as possible. Because uh, that, that that movement of water, yep. the bait is then going to move. It's not going to sit like it would in a dead current, so where there is zero water movement and it just sits there. A tidal water movement it is moving from into one direction depending on how long you fish for and you need it to not wrap around the rest of your line is that right 100 percent. and what happens is if you so a squid strip from for instance a nice little bit of squid that i use for a whiting bait i literally pin it at the tip of the squid a nice strip of it and that's it done if i go for a gummy now this is comes into a factor that uh sort of goes against what you said patrick i do apologize but you were 100 percent right but if you're fishing in the ocean in say 40 meters for a gummy right and you've wedged this salmon fillet on, you've gone in and out back to forward 100 times, and you drop it down 40 metres, what happens when you wind it up 40 metres? It starts spinning all the way up, and it creeps up your leader. So it's also crucial if you are dropping baits down that you don't put it on where it can turn into a helicopter, as I like to display, or a windmill. So a windmill, for instance, has its blades angled slightly a different way, and what happens when wind grabs one corner of it? It spins. And that's the yep. same what happens to your bait in the water. It spins and causes tangles. Not only that, it also stops you from catching fish. It just caught, well, number one, the tangles happen. But number two, the bait's spinning under the water and it's not looking natural, especially for things like barrel bluefin. For instance, when you put a live bait on, you can hook it through the top shoulder or through his nose. You can bridle up. There's so many different ways you can do it. There's also so many ways you can also put a pilchard on. But we present baits properly. So when we put a pilchard in the water for snapper, quite often we use snail rigs. The reason we use snail rig is the first hook goes through the head of the fish, 
The second one goes through the middle of the fish and then you half hitch the, t the tail on. So it lays down and falls into the water nicely and it, and it falls through the water column. Not that you've just randomly put hooks all through it so it just starts spinning all the way down. So there's so many different ways that you need to present your baits and it doesn't matter where you are in this world, presenting your baits and all the depth that you're fishing is crucial to have them as water efficient as possible. But also if a big fish is coming up, the fish that you're going to catch, the only things that are going to take your squid strip off, for instance, I'll go back to whiting, are going to be your leather jackets. But they're not going to take it off. They're going to bite the ends of it off. You're fishing for gummies. The reef fish will eat the middle of your baits out. They're not going to take the whole bait off as such. So there's, make sure you put it on properly. The big fish will eat the bait that you're targeting. The crappy fish will just pick the outside generally, and that's about it with your bait presentation. I just ask one on – so I was fishing by myself – last week before I went away, um, took the stabby out. There were tuna absolutely everywhere. And then you said one of the things I need to do is just drop a pilly down. Yeah. So I pinned it through the eye. Um, can you talk to me just quickly? I know I'm going a little off track here around the leader size and length and just how you need that fish or that bait, that pilchard to fall as naturally through the water as possible. And the balance between getting a bait there as fast as possible, but how do you make it naturally drop through that water column to where those fish are feeding? Yeah, so there's a few different methods to look at it. So there's you've got there's two different ways you can put your bait on. You can hide the hook. So you can run the hook in the middle of the fish and have it come out, say, halfway through the pilchard and then half hitch it on or tuck your line through the end of the pilchard so your line sits straight through it so it lays flat. But like you said before, how I like to do it is just through the eyes. I've caught so many fish like that, and it's a quick, fast method to, to – quite often it all happens fast. So it's a very quick method to do it. But how you want to lay it in the water to get your best hookup chance is the lighter the leader, the less drag in the water column. So I run 130 fluorocarbon. So fluorocarbon – I'm actually not a fan of fluorocarbon, but I like it for certain things, for instance, for this. So fluorocarbon doesn't reflect light. So it goes through the water without reflecting any light. And it also, you get away with using lighter poundage with fluorocarbon because it's a tougher trace. So what I mean there is, for instance, on my lures, I'm running 150 or 200 pound on my lures because it doesn't matter. It's in the wash, it doesn't matter. Where when you've got a bait, a little pilly sinking down on a 100, 200 pound leader, probably doesn't work to your advantage as much as running 130 pound or 100 pound leader. Now, 100 pound leader, 130 pound leader, it's very hard to bust that on a fish. The only thing that can happen is you can get bit off. But out of, say, 100 barrels I've caught, I've probably been bitten off on a couple. Like, there's not many there's not many fish I get bit off on, to be honest with you, on baits. So running your lighter leader will present your baits better. And when you throw it in, you want to try and actually get it into the bait fish that it's pushed to the surface. So as that bait fish move off it, that falls through it. And that's where the tuna's going to be coming behind it. And that's where it's going to eat your uh, your pilly or your live yakka or whatever you throw into it. Beautiful work, Robin. That is Red's tip for the weekend. Now, it is time for the flying gaff, and this is sort of a good gaff in many ways because Better Boating Victoria are here to help new boaters or those who simply want to improve their boating and backing skills, and they've got planned a series of free clinics right throughout this spring period. And I'm pretty sure, Ribbon, there is one actually at the Melbourne Boat Show as well, which is right around oh, the corner. Yeah. yeah. So the, the sessions are free to register. Um, they'll be hold in, held in sort of late order. Um, 
and they've partnered with the Peninsula Boat Training and Boating Industry Association of, of Victoria. Um, and you can find out more from betterboating.vic.gov.au. But once again, they're all free and it goes through how to back. It'll walk you through it step by step. And the sessions that are open, so Point Richards, Sunday, 8th of October, which is part of the Hooked On Ballerine event. Nagambi, Saturday, October 21, so obviously it's past. Um, Nagambi, Saturday, October 21, and the Melbourne Boat Show, Friday, October 27. Uh, yep. Once again, so it's one of those things, if you're really uncomfortable about backing your boat, particularly once the boat ramps start to fill up, throughout, uh, fill up throughout the summer period, this is the perfect opportunity to actually go and learn from people that do this every day. Patrick, you obviously, they obviously supply car and boat, so it's a great way to hit things without damaging your own stuff. Exactly right, exactly. <laughs> I reckon it's a fantastic initiative. Well, particularly when... The nerves that come with launching a boat, everyone wants to go out fishing, but half the, I think, challenge is that people get nervous of actually going there with 30 people all looking at them at a boat ramp and they end up doing things that they shouldn't and they start to destroy things that have spent tens of thousands of dollars on boats, trailers, cars, all that sort of stuff because they just want to get out of that panic zone as fast as they possibly can. I hope that they also include a little bit of on-water stuff too. So getting around the harbour, like using a bit of power around uh, facilities and other boats. And because a lot of people get caught out with wind and not using, not trimming their, it's simple as trimming your engine down a little bit further and you've got more control on your boat. Grip on the water. Yeah, yep. just things like, because of the angle of your trailer, and we've spoken about it many times on this show, the angle of your trailer, right, goes into the water. And when you trim your engine down, when you're on the angle, if you trimmed it all the way down, you're going to hit the ground. So your angle, your engine's up. But once you fall off the trailer and you're flat in the water in the water level, yeah, engine's back out of the water at the back of the boat. And I see water flying everywhere with people. So just hope they include a little few little tips like that along the way because they will really help out as we approach the busy season or as we like to call it, the silly season. That wraps the show, Redmond. We hope you enjoyed it. All for the Melbourne Boat Show, Docklands, October 26 to 29 on water, off water, free tickets and information online. This has been Real Adventures.